0: Let's pray one more time. Lord, once again, we do come before you, and we do so with humility, recognizing that we are small, and Lord, that you are great. Bless us as we tackle this very serious topic. Open our hearts and open our minds so that we would understand what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I once walked through a gate that had a sign on it. Arbeit macht frei. The translation is, work makes one free. Work, in fact, never freed anyone who entered that gate. There is another gate. This, sign, this one also has a sign. And above the gate it says, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. This gate, Dante said, passes into the very pit of hell, and it's not very far from Dachau. No one who enters this gate will ever be freed either. Today we're going to look at what the Bible says about a subject that many of us here would much rather simply forget. C.S. Lewis once said that if there was any doctrine in the Bible he could annul, it would be that of hell. And I heartily agree with him. But as Christians, we cannot, we must not deny the reality of everlasting punishment for those who turn their backs on the promises of God for us in Christ. The reason that you and I as believers continue to live on this planet is so that you and I can communicate as far and as wide as we can the gracious provision of God that saves men and women and children from eternity apart from the only source of life, Jesus Christ. Today I want to answer several questions Questions that people ask about hell. And we will answer them from the Bible because the Bible is the only source of information that we have on anything after the death of human beings. And because we are talking about hell today, I want to give a word of caution. This is not going to be a pleasant sermon. I don't expect anyone to walk up get up from today and walk out feeling chipper and say, oh, good sermon, pastor. It will be a good sermon if it causes you and I to change how we're living so that others may also live. Secondly, a sermon on hell must not ever be directed at any individual or group's of individual we are not speaking against any particular person or group no matter how heinous you think their actions are praise jesus it is not my job to judge anybody it is not my job to condemn anyone and if i can preach a sermon on hell or you can listen to a sermon on hell and not have a tear for our bitterest enemy on earth, then our hearts are wrong. I am preaching this message tonight because it is, hell is one of the most more important teachings of the Bible. I am preaching this message on hell tonight because it is a question that many believers and non-believers really struggle at the bottom of their hearts with. If you ever wonder why, or if you ever struggle with the idea of hell, join the human race. It is a tough doctrine. I am preaching this message today because today is Palm Sunday. This week, you and I will celebrate what God did to ensure that we would not have to go to hell because God above every other person in the universe wants you and I and everyone else to boycott hell and leave it far alone for the demons to live in for eternity. And I'm doing one more thing here as I preach this sermon. In answering these several questions about hell from God's word, I'm also reminding us of very specific promises that God gives every single individual to take for themselves so that they will not have to experience the horrors, the torment of eternity apart from God. I get my first promise from Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11. The Lord says through the prophet Isaiah or Ezekiel, excuse me. He says, "As I live declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live, turn back" Turn back from your evil ways, for why would you die, O Israel? What we will major on tonight is this implied command. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? So to begin with, before we can learn how to boycott hell, we must ask, why did God create hell in the first place? Why is there a place called hell? Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, verse 41, He says, Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me! You cursed! Into the eternal fire, don't miss this, prepared for the devil and his angels. Prepare for the wicked one and his angels. The scene of this awful declaration is the final judgment where believers will enter the kingdom of God and those who have rejected Christ will be forever separated from Him in hell. Hell was designed, it was made for Satan and those who rebelled with him. But after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, more rebels came. It is not only the rebels that Christ intends to destroy, but it is also their deeds. 1 John 3.8 says, "...whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning." The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, it's no surprise to anybody in this room... But the devil continues his work of amassing rebels. Those rebels who are demons and those rebels who are human will all be destroyed by Christ when they disappear forever into the bottomless pit. Now, for believers, for those of us who have trusted the promises of God for us in Christ... Hell has a different purpose. Hell is where God destroys sin. God hates sin. Sin hinders God from fully enjoying his prized creation, you and me. God will destroy sin so that it will not hinder this relationship forever. This is why God created hell, to separate sin from those who love him and i believe that's in part what psalm 103 teaches where it says in verse 11 for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him and as far as the east as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us my friends the promise you and i can cling to is that god longs To redeem you. God does not want to destroy us. God wants an eternal loving relationship with every single person. God longs to redeem us. He says so in Hosea 7.13. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. The NIV translate this would redeem them as longs to redeem them. God longs to save everyone from the eternal destruction that awaits those who refuse to listen to the words, the promises, the commands of God. God longs to save everyone from the eternal destruction that awaits those who ultimately and finally rebel against the King of the universe. The responsibility ultimately lies in the hearts of those who will not submit to God. God longs to separate that sin from every human being before that sin is destroyed. This is the promise to those who will listen. If that sin is still accounted to the person when it is destroyed, that person will spend eternity separated from God. And so God cries, turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? So we come to our second question. And this is probably the first or second most often question asked of me. Is hell literal or is hell figurative? Well, it depends on how you're asking, what you're asking. Those who wish to avoid the uncomfortable issue of hell that insist that the teachings of Scripture are figurative. In coming to the Bible, you and I must be careful to understand What was written, the way it was intended to be understood, R.C. Sproul says, the reality of Scripture, of the descriptions in the Bible, always exceeds its substance. What the in substance, what the symbol contains. What does that mean? It means all the realities we read about in the Bible are real, and the reality is communicated accurately. But language fails to communicate these realities fully. Let me give you an example of that. Jesus said in Matthew 13.42, Throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Jesus is not demanding that you believe that there is a giant machine with flames in it that's used to heat large buildings. Hell is not a furnace in that manner but we do understand that fire accurately communicates the reality that jesus wants us to know so then we ask we keep probing this what kind of fire well obviously not exactly the fire that we have on earth because evidently the people in hell are never consumed as they would be if you put wood in a barbecue My answer ultimately to that is I I really don't know. All I know is that fire accurately communicates the reality that Jesus is trying to get us to understand about hell. I cannot understand this awful doctrine of hell completely. And to be honest, I am glad I don't. God has given sufficient understanding in the Bible for you and I to fear for our souls, to be concerned about where our souls will end up for eternity. If the fires of hell cannot be the same as the fire we know on earth, it is because the reality behind that eternal fire is infinitely worse than we could even imagine. Fortunately, we don't need to imagine it for ourselves because God took that punishment for us. Paul writes in Colossians 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus having forgiven us all our trespasses by counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to Jesus' cross, identifying my sin with Jesus as he hung on the cross and bore God's wrath against my sins for me. God took this punishment for us. That is the promise that you and I can cling to. That is the promise you can tell your friends so they will never fully comprehend the horrors of hell. His promises for you in Christ enable, they encourage, they equip you to be able to turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? Which then brings us to the third question, and that is, will hell last forever? From the church's side, from quote-unquote believer's side, for those who, who err in this doctrine, if they don't just outright deny the existence of hell, another way to salve their consciences about hell is to say, well, it doesn't really last forever for those who are in there. Eventually, the fire consumes them and burns them up. But this is not how Jesus described it. In Matthew 25, again, verse 46, he says, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. If this were the only verse in the Bible that taught the doctrine that hell goes on forever and ever and ever and ever, it would be enough. Because if you and I can assume that heaven will be eternal bliss for those who love God, then based on this verse, we need to assume that hell will be eternal torment for those who hate him. It's because three things ultimately will last forever. And that is God, his word, and the souls of men and women. Among other things, this is what makes people different from animals And that is that we will live. We will continue to exist for eternity. This is part of what it means to be created in God's image. And because God cannot uncreate himself, he decides, he desires to save us. And my friends, this is Peter's point when he responds to those who are mocking our beliefs, our various beliefs. Here's the promise, 2 Peter 3, 4 And then 8 and 9, he says, these mockers will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That, by the way, is the underlying basis of evolution. That's another discussion, but I think that that attitude of uniformitarianism uh, is evolution's foundation, one of them, one of the three. But Peter responds, and he says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but He is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. My friends, don't allow the mockers to mock you away from your belief in God. Know that God is being patient with them and with you. God desires to save all of us. President Andrew Jackson in the White House was told of a case of a man who robbed the mail. This man, his name was George Wilson. Now, I don't know all the story. I don't know why Andrew Jackson offered George Wilson a pardon, but he did. And this pardon would not only reprieve George Wilson from death, but it would absolve him of all guilt. Not only did he not get hung, but he would be able to leave prison a free man. George Wilson refused the pardon. This case was so strange that it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Chief Justice John Marshall wrote the judgment of the court. And this is a paraphrase of what he said. In essence, he said that the pardon is only a piece of paper. It must be accepted by the guilty person. At the end of his decision, Marshall wrote, Wilson must hang. So he hung. Whatever else may be true in this life. Every person here knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a judgment hanging over you. And you are being offered a pardon. You are being offered absolution from death. And not only that, but to make your life new and eternal and abundant and it's for you you can gratefully receive it or you can push it away don't let the judge of the heavens and earth pronounce the same decision over you you must hang turn turn from your evil ways why do you want to die? Why do you want to spend eternity apart from God? The next question is, is hell fair? This is one that I hear constantly. The biblical problem of hell, however, is not why are so many people condemned to hell. The problem is, how are any Even one sworn enemy of God reconciled to him. God is never guilty of injustice. There is not one solitary human being who will go to hell that doesn't deserve to be there. Everyone in history gets at least justice. The Bible says in Romans 3, For all have sinned and fall short of of the glory of God in Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin what you get paid for your sin is death but the free gift the gift that costs you nothing but is priceless because it costs Jesus hell on the cross for three hours The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there He is pleading with you. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Those who receive the gift of God are getting more than justice. They are getting grace. Those who will not receive the gift of God are getting justice. They are getting what they deserve. And God wants to give us this gift more in fact than you and I want to receive it because we have so many things blinding us from the reality that is staring us in the face. So God pleads with us another passage in Ezekiel. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone declares the lord god so turn repent come to me turn your back on your sin and turn your arms to me and live the lord says but what about those who have never heard the gospel what about those who are far away and have never had a missionary speak to them Ultimately, the only thing that I can say is that God will judge fairly and that everyone is saved by the name of Jesus. Among other verses you can write these down, Genesis 18:25, Luke 12:48, they teach us that God will judge fairly. But the question or the opportunity For you and me, because we have heard the good news, is to turn, turn away from your sin. Turn away from the things that are blinding you, that are crippling you, that are binding you, so that you cannot be free, so that you can live. If you notice as we are going through this sermon the questions are getting more and more difficult at least that was how i wrote them because we get to the next question and it is will a loving god condemn people to hell john four sixteen says god is love so we have Very good authority. Scripture itself that says clearly that God is love. And we have equal clarity in Deuteronomy 32.4. God's ways are just. The Bible teaches that God is both love and just. And the Bible teaches us that hell is consistent with both. Now, let me stop preaching just for a second. If you struggle with that, this idea of love and justice, being able to mix together, here's my advice. Struggle with it. It's okay. God is a big boy. He won't be offended by your struggling with him in what he's teaching. And while you are struggling with it, do something grown up and accept that you do not know everything and say, okay, Lord, I will take this by faith. I will accept, I will trust, I will be confident in you that you have this figured out. And then I would have you consider a question. a, A question concerning this is God both love and just, and will God condemn people to hell? Would love allow those who reject him to spoil the joy of those who love him? Would that be a loving thing to do to those who love God? No. God will not allow hell to veto heaven. That would be the ultimate injustice. The beings who are saved for eternity cannot be crushed by the weight of the damned. God's ways are just. When I was a boy, I lived in Los Angeles, And my dad loved to take me to art museums. We went to all the art museums in L.A. and all the time. And there was a time in my life that the thought of spending one hour at a museum was more than I thought my stomach could bear. Thank you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That is no longer true, by the way. It was not until I was older that I realized the value of the treasure that I saw. So imagine now, imagine a creature who has spent his whole life loathing God. He will not find God's presence to be heaven. He will find God's presence to be what it is, in fact hell. God offers to give us a vision of the value of his love. He offers to adopt us, to bring us into his family, to make us his children. John 1.12 says, but all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, heaven is not the reward of those who pass a theological test at the end of their life. Heaven, rather, is a gift for those whose characters have been formed in such a way so as to desire heaven, so as to want to be around priceless treasures of art. Likewise, hell is a reward for those who can only sing, I did it my way. Again, it was Lewis who said, what are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins and at all costs to give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every help. But he has done so at Calvary. To forgive them, they will not be forgiven. They don't want God's forgiveness. To leave them alone, alas, I'm afraid that's what he does. Those who reject His promises will spend eternity alone apart from the only source of life and therefore in eternal punishment. But our promise is in Romans 10.13, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So turn. Turn to the Lord. Turn away from your evil. Why? Why throw away your life? Why throw away your eternity? Is hell God's final answer? Sin keeps us from God. Therefore, God has worked to keep sin from us. Second Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might receive. We might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53, 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of every single one of us. God took hell for you. For everyone who trusts in the promises of God for them in Christ, God experienced His own wrath for you, so you don't have to. The penalty for sin, as I mentioned before, is death. You will die. You have sinned and are now sinning physically. Therefore, you will die physically. And the statistics are absolutely remarkable. One out of every one people dies. More importantly, though, even than that, more importantly is that you have sinned spiritually. Therefore, you must also die spiritually. Until you are given a spiritual birth, you cannot escape hell. That is why the most most important fact in all of history is that God took hell for you. So then, the question the last question and the most important question is what must I do? I am not assuming that every single person in this room has a personal relationship with Christ. I am not assuming everyone who has been going to church longer than I have been on this earth has a relationship with Christ and is knows that they are not going to hell my friends sleeping in church doesn't make you a christian any more than sleeping in your garage makes you a car you need to trust the promises of god for you in christ if you are to escape hell if you don't already have a personal relationship with jesus you need to turn turn away from your evil ways why will you die you need to repent today Perhaps you have come to church for years. Perhaps you've come to this church for years. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have even the slightest shred of doubt, about this topic you have all three of us pastors are here you have a couple of elders here you have a children's see see what is your title children's ministry director director of children's ministry something like that talk to michelle too you have deaconesses here you have there are people here to talk to there's even a pastor from another church we 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 kind of like bill talk to one of us if you have the slightest question about this subject. Now, I assume that there's quite a few of us here who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are going to spend eternity with Jesus. If that is true, then you need to read along with me Second 2 Corinthians 2.15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Is this true of you? When you walk by, do people actually smell Jesus about you in the way that you are living? Now some, to be sure, will not like it. They will smell that and they will think death because they are being reminded of their destiny. They're not going to dig that. That's not a good thing for them. So they will do whatever they can to get away from you. That is not your fault. But there will be others who smell the most beautiful fragrance in the universe. A wind, a breath from the land that is inhabited by those who cannot experience hell. Because there is one more gate. Jesus says in Matthew, excuse me, Revelation 22, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. These, my friends, are the gates that you want to see. These are the gates that you, when you trust those promises of God for you in Christ, May joyously enter. These are the gates made of pure love, the love of God for you. You may enter them with gladness or you may see them from afar and despair. Make your choice today. Call out on the name of the Lord. God Almighty, we call upon you even right now. I pray over these men and women and children and I ask jesus that you will shine a searchlight into their hearts and let them see themselves if they have trusted your promises for a rescue from hell and god save their souls draw them cause them to speak to one of us cause them to look to you for their salvation so that they will not spend eternity away from you. And God, for those of us who know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are saved and that you have already completed that transaction, God, I pray that we would take this message and we would be reminded that we need to live our lives in such a way that others may live for eternity. Oh, Lord, I'm even sure some of the things that I said are probably wrong. But I pray, Lord, that you would correct in our hearts. You would cause us to humble ourselves before this awful doctrine. And Lord, we would pray, God, for my dad, Lord, save his soul. For all of my dad's family, Lord Jesus, except for my cousin, every one of them needs you to save their souls. I pray for two men in this town that I've become friends with. I ask You to save their souls. I ask, God, that You would just rob them from Satan. God, that You would fill their hearts with overflowing joy and bring them to the foot of the cross. God, for my mom's family, there isn't one saved. God, save their souls. Save them, Jesus. Draw them away from the kingdom of the enemy and bring them into the kingdom of the beloved son in whom they will find righteousness they will find redemption the forgiveness of sins and god i know that there are dozens of people who are represented by those sitting right here who have loved ones who are far from your kingdom draw us lord to you because you are are the only one who can save. Do this tonight, Lord. Save, 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 Lord. And may we be your instruments, or at least may our eyes look upon your salvation and see that you are working in in and among those that we love, in and through us, Jesus. Make us be the fragrance that leads to life. God, indeed bless us so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.